We're in John 4. Again, this morning will be at verses 31 through 42. I'm just going to read that, and then we'll get into the a couple specifics from this passage. You remember that this is the end. This morning's passage is the end of the conversation Jesus has with a woman at the well. And Samaria is that mixed race people group that lies between Judah in the south of Israel and Galilee in the north. So the woman Jesus has had the conversation with has just taken off to town. Verse 31, in the meanwhile, the disciples were requesting him saying, Rabbi, eat. And you remember they'd been gone. They went into town, the town she just came or just went back into. They've just come from with their meal. He said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. The disciples therefore were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal, that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. In this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. And from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I've done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word, and they were saying to the woman, It's no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Now remember the setting from the front end of chapter 4 that Jesus and his disciples have been walking from Judah through Samaria up to the north. And when this whole conversation has taken place, Jesus is tired, he's weary, he's thirsty, he's hungry. And then up comes this woman that he has a divine appointment with in this conversation that changes not only her life, but the lives of so many in Samaria. This is a great reminder to me that it's oftentimes when we feel least desirous of serving or working that that is exactly the time that we're faced with situations that require us to serve and to work. And moms, obviously, on Mother's Day, this is a a good message and a good text. And maybe a good reminder that when you are tempted to feel just totally discouraged with the demands of motherhood or when you're tired or fatigued or weary, remember Jesus at the well of Samaria. Again, he's tired, he's weary, he's hungry, he's thirsty. I suspect humanly the last thing he wanted was a conversation with someone. He had the legitimate human physical needs that all of us have, and he and those would be the things that had been on his mind. But up the, comes this woman who has a a very specific need, and God uses that through his conversation to address her and to address the folks in this town. So when you are tempted to feel all alone, and I think maybe particularly for mothers, this is a temptation. You know, a lot of times you're at home, oftentimes with little kids and no one else around. You're the only adult, and it's just you, God, and the kids. Nobody else sees, there's no immediate reward, there's no quick payback, 
And it's easy to be discouraged. It's easy to be discouraged. When you think of the Lord as being someone who's able to sympathize, though, think of him here at the well. But also, remember passages like Hebrews 2. Let me read, uh, this is five verses out of Hebrews 2, or excuse me, two verses and then three out of chapter 4. Listen to what this says, though. When you're down and out, remember these verses. It says, uh, He made, God made Jesus like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Talking about Jesus, it says the Father made him just like us. Now, he wasn't a mother, but he was, he was shared our humanity. He was just like us. So he was tempted in all the things and all the ways that we are too. And it says he did this so that he could be a faithful and merciful high priest. So whether you're a mom feeling stressed out or a dad or a child or whatever, we've got somebody in heaven who's been through the grind. They've been through the drudgery of day-to-day work, fatigue, weariness, maybe disappointment and discouragement. He knows what it feels like. So when we're asking for help in these times, we're talking to someone who's been there. He can empathize. He's been through it. He knows what it feels like. In Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, it says, We have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. We don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. So again, thinking specifically of moms today, when you're feeling stressed out, strained out, worked over, worked out, whatever, this, these verses are great encouragement. Jesus at the well is an example of being tired and fatigued and still having to serve. And Hebrews tells us that because of what he went through, he's sympathetic, he's merciful, And that is an encouragement for us to go to him in our time of need, and he'll give us grace and help. These are great reminders for moms especially, but certainly for all of us. When we're tired, fatigued, wearied, we're talking to someone, we're asking someone in prayer when we speak to the Lord, who's been where we're at, tired and fatigued, who's merciful and sympathetic to our need. And it says... It's this wide-open invitation, draw near with confidence, because our sins have been atoned for. Draw near with confidence, and he'll give you grace. He'll give you help in your time of need. So moms, especially when you're tired and weary, remember Jesus at the well of Samaria. Or remember Hebrews 2 and 4, because it's an invitation to us when we're fagged out, tired, worked over, to come to him and get grace and help in our time of need. The key question I ask myself when I read this passage is, what allowed Jesus to say in this setting, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work? What allows Jesus to say, guys, I don't need this food specifically right now because I am so encouraged from my father that I feel like I've already eaten. Does this happen to you very often? No, yeah, nor for me, nor for me. That's what he says. Now remember, 
the disciples this conversation, just like uh, the woman at the well, the disciples don't get, he's talking spiritual, using physical analogies. <clears throat> Did somebody feed him? But he says, and they went to town to get food. I mean, this is time to eat. It's probably past time to eat. But he makes this comment, and he says, tired and weary, talking to this strange woman from town, and here they come with the food, and he's not even diving in. He says, guys, it's as if I've already eaten. I'm content. I'm good to go right where I'm at. This, since it doesn't describe most of us most of the time, my question becomes, what allowed this to be true of Jesus in this circumstance? And let me suggest a progression in this passage that goes back to the subject from last week, which is worship. But look at verses 22 and 23. Jesus gave this invitation to worship, to worship God, to get to know him. We know whom we worship, he says in verse 22. And God wants those who worship in spirit and truth, the way it really is, that to know God truly produces worship. To know God in truth produces worship. Verse 34 Worshiping God produces in us a passion for what he's passionate about, an interest in what he's interested in. And verses 35 and 39 clearly show, in this case, the harvest Jesus is talking about and the work that God's given him to do here is the salvation of the people, here specifically the Samaritans. God's passion was for Jesus to serve people, to lead them back to the Father. So, when you and I are burning out in the fields in which we're laboring in, when we're burning out at our wells, we're burning the wick at both ends, or what do we say, the candle at both ends? <clears throat> when we're fatigued and we're dragging, let me suggest that the formula in John 4 is not to do more work. It's to worship. It's to make your focus back on God himself, to come in his presence and worship and receive his passion again and his joy. We talked about uh, the mistaken ideas people have sometimes last week about worship, that they think God is telling us to come worship as if he needs us, or as if, is, as if he has a, a complex and he needs to be re-secured by our worship. And of course, nothing is further from the truth. But when we worship him, it's not so much that we're giving him something, as that we are gaining we are benefiting. And so there's probably no better example of that than Jesus. <clears throat> Can you imagine the hours he's keeping? He's on the road. He's traveling. You remember he tells one, I have no place to lay my head. I have no home to call my own. And doing these miracles, feeding the multitudes, means the multitudes are following him all the time. You remember when he gets away, he's got to go hide. He goes up to the coast of Phoenicia to Sidon just to get away from people who know him to get a break. He is being pursued morning, noon, and night if he's in Israel by people who have needs. He says in this context, he derives his passion for work or for God's mission through worship, through time with his Father. And when you and I come and worship Jesus as we should, worship the Father as we should, we come and we bow before him, it's not just that we're giving him his due, though we are, but it's that we receive the benefit we are energized in his presence. We can't come before the God of life and not receive life. We can't come before the fountain of joy and not receive joy. We can't come before the God who has all strength, who's omnipotent, and not be strengthened ourselves. So when we're doing the work, we're doing the do, and we're wearing out, 
the thing to do is not to think about more work. It's to go to the source of worship and strength and joy, which is God himself, and find renewal there for the strength we need. Then we can say with Jesus, to do the will of the Father, that's my food. I'm encouraged. I'm strengthened because I realize I'm where God wants me, doing what he wants me to do. I'm sharing his passion. I'm encouraged. I'm strengthened. I'm good to go. N.T. Wright, one of the books I was reading for worship last week uh, called For All God's Worth, says this, Worship is nothing less nor more than love on its knees. Mission, or God's work for us, mission is love on its feet. You know, if you think about it in this context, work isn't so much work because it's tied to the relationship we have with God himself. So if we have a difficult time, if we find ourselves strung out because of the labors or the things we're taking care of, the solution isn't more work, it's God himself, it's worship. It's worship. Um, <clears throat> you remember the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. Younger brother goes out and throws a party for however long the money lasts and then comes home. And older brother is at home the whole time doing what he's supposed to do. He's faithful to do the work his dad's given him to do. But it's clear from the response when dad invites him to celebrate with dad and with the family and the servants the return of Junior, he has no interest. And it's clear it's because although he's at home doing the right work, his heart is not connected to his father's. He's going through the motions, but he's not sustained through his father. His heart is far away. He's not in fellowship. So for him, work has become a grind. And you remember he says to his dad, you've never once thrown a party for me. And dad says, son, you're always with me. That's the most important thing. And all that I have is yours. You can have a party anytime you want. What do you want? Junior was at home doing the work, but totally cut off from his dad. And of course, Jesus, in the context of Luke, was talking about the Pharisees who would not rejoice when sinners were coming back to the Father. And see, the Pharisees, they were doing the work. They were far from God, though. Remember, it's the same Pharisees who would crucify Jesus. They're far from God, but they're going through the cycles of doing the right work. It looks like on the outside they're doing all the right things. Now, if you're like me, I tend to be, I think, Lord, I, I'm, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to... I'm going to finish strong, whatever it means. And, you know, that serves pretty well most of the time. But, you know, it, it won't carry you all the way home. It won't get you home. It won't allow you to cross the finish line in the best way. You just you wear out. You burn out, and then you get bitter. And you grow resentful. Because it feels like it's all giving from our end, and there's no receiving. We're doing the work. We're big brother, we're at home, doing all the work, and there's no party. And after a while, you, nobody can live like that indefinitely. You know, and we're not meant to. We're not meant to. Older brother didn't realize being with dad was the thing. And being dad's son meant dad was glad to share with older brother anything he had. 
didn't matter. You can have it all because the things weren't important. It was the fellowship. It was the relationship. And I think oftentimes for Christians, we can be motivated by a desire to do the right thing, and that's good, and to be faithful in work and service, and that's good also. But if we're not drawing our life from the well, so to speak, we will burn out. We won't be able to say with Jesus, guys, it's okay, I'm fed. I'm encouraged because I know I'm about my father's business. It'll be one more diaper to change. It'll be one more runny nose to wipe, and it won't be joyful, and it won't be life. It'll just be drudgery. Duty sometimes, duty on its own accord, duty often breeds drudgery. And that's not what God's asking for us. Love and worship lead to joy or joyful service. So if you're a mom at home or whatever venue we find ourselves in, students, workers, whatever, friends, family members, whatever we're doing, wherever we live, wherever we hang our hat, if we're burning out on the things we've got going, the work we're doing, the service we're rendering, whatever, the answer is not more work. It's not more service. It's God. It's go back to the first portion of this equation. Focus back in on God himself. Bow before the Son. And in worshiping him, you'll share God's passion. You'll share God's joy, his life. And then it'll be true when you do your work. You're doing it for the Lord. You'll receive his strength, his commendation, and it'll be okay. You won't burn out. I was reading a brief article last night on work and leisure. And the guy was making a very valid point that our attitude towards work or leisure should be exactly the same. That whatever we do, we're doing it for and with the Lord. In that sense, we can be as refreshed working for Christ as we are in leisure for Christ. They're the same thing. It won't matter. That should be the case. Now granted, uh, some things are more draining than, than others. And Jesus got away by himself. He did escape the crowds. He did escape the workload at times. He got away and he got rest and renewal. And we certainly need to do the same thing. But it should be possible for us to do the work God wants for us to do with his joy, his strength, his life, not at our expense. Again, older brother feels like it's all at his expense. And there's there's nothing coming back. And if any of us feel like that, you, you can't uh, serve very well or very long like that. Certainly not with life. And in fact, if you've known Christians who simply worked hard but weren't themselves joyful, did other people really want to be around them or want to be served by them? People like to be around life. We are drawn to life and to joy. So if we are going to be able to say with Jesus to do God's will, that's enough. I'm satisfied, I'm fed, I'm watered, I'm content. It'll have to be because we're getting our strength from him. It can't be any other way. So if we're burning out, don't focus on the work. Go back to worship. Share God's passion in worship. Receive his strength, his joy, his life, and you'll be good to go again. But when we sense that we're always the ones giving, We're going to burn out. We'll burn up. And then we'll just resent the work that God would otherwise give us and we'd find joyful. 
We work on God's dime and God's time. If we're his, then everything we do is for him. So if it's recreation, it's for him. If it's work, it's for him. But if we're connected to him in whichever kind of work or leisure it is, we should still feel sustained by him. It's not our energy he's asking for. And in fact, I would argue, if you do things in the strength of your own soul, life, whatever, it will produce nothing of spiritual value. It may, you may get some fruit from it, you may get some short-term benefit from it, but in the end it will produce nothing of spiritual worth before God. Remember Jesus says in John 15, apart from me you can do nothing. So if you're serving on your strength, on your time and your dime, it's probably going to burn up. And it's not going to produce the fruit that you wanted it to, or God wanted it to. So we're on his time and his dime, and if our strength comes from him, then the work can be whatever it is. We're sustained through him. If you're overworked, go back to worship. The second thing, and really the only two things I'm going to focus on in this morning's passage, at verse 35, Jesus says, Don't you say there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. You know, putting this in context, to the disciples, the Samaritans are a field with no harvest potential. They're ready to hit the well, get the food, and go on through. Jesus looks at the Samaritans and he sees a field of white grain ready to be harvested. One commentator said, uh, talked about the testimony of it in the 1800s. A missionary was in this area at a well, maybe this very site, and he noticed as he was sitting there, you remember the Arabs tended to wear white uh, linen and they were walking up the path. And this verse struck him that the white, maybe even what Jesus saw as the Samaritans, remember they're coming out of town, were Samaritans dressed in their white clothing coming out. And that was literally the white field. Wayne Watson has a song called The Field of Souls, that God's harvesting from the fields of, field of souls. So Jesus is in, he has this conversation with this, remember this woman we said, just not a person, a respectable Jew would have conversed with in the first place. Because Jesus sees, this is my dad's work, and this is the field he's working in right now. You know, for you and I, oftentimes, we want to work for the Lord, and we've got in our mind what it looks like. And it's uh, probably a little glamorous, probably gives us a little recognition. You know, it probably looks successful to the world. That would be our view of a harvest field, a good-looking field. You know, and oftentimes that's not what we get. And again, if you're a mom, your field is at home, isn't it? It's with those little tykes. It's, it's the diaper business. It's the Kleenex business. It's the getting up at night. It's the feedings, you know, etc. Gosh, we're done with all that. Yeah. You know, that's your field, though. Uh, it's working at home. And it is most often not glamorous. And even though culturally this has changed a little bit, it is not typically the kind of work that the world around you will commend you for. But that's your white field. Same is true of dads. You know, if you think of uh, 
of a work that lasts, you remember that anything that we do in this world that's attached to this planet, in the end it burns up. In the end it burns up because this world is consumed by fire, Peter says in his second epistle. It's all burned up. And that the only thing that will last through eternity are people, our lives. So that faith is the most important investment, if you will, that any of us make. Listen to what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 and 3. Paul said, I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. You remember Timothy's dad, he's a Gentile. He's a Greek. He probably is not a believer. I mean, this verse, if we were going to commend Timothy's dad, it would be here. Paul says the faith was in his mother and his grandmother. And they passed it on to Tim. 2 Timothy 3.15 says, From childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You remember the old uh, adage, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Well, Timothy, you can imagine. Here's a gal, a believer, a Jew, married to an unbeliever. Her mom lives with them, and they've got little Tim. And I don't remember which city they lived in in the Greek world, but they're not in Israel. They're up in the Asia Minor area. Now, who would know? Would, would Lois or Eunice have known when they were raising this little guy, wiping his nose, changing his diapers, that he would be one of the key figures to shape the face of the world as he became a little older as a young man? Because that's what he did. You remember, as Paul's personal missionary we get the letters of 1st and 2nd Timothy. And Timothy becomes the key leader in the key church of, at Ephesus. Their ministry in Timothy from his early age, no doubt it was in large part to their efforts that Timothy knew the sacred scriptures, which lead to salvation, and that it was they passing their faith on to Timothy, that then Timothy grows up and turns around and affects the lives of countless, countless others. In fact, arguably, the effect of his ministry continues on to this day because, of course, in discipleship, one person affects another person, affects another person, affects another person. The chain doesn't stop. So their potentially thankless white field was a little guy at home. But God used that. And he takes that little guy when he's a little older and he recruits him into his ministry and he changes the shape of the world through Timothy. This came through the efforts of two moms, a mom and a grandmom, at home. That was the seedbed, if you will, that Timothy grew up in. And you remember, if Jesus, Jesus said, I came to serve, not to be served, I came to serve, and he says, the greatest among you will be the servant of all. So that in a very, very real sense, I'm convinced that Mothers occupy the greatest position in the future and eternity because they are the servants of all in their calling. So can you imagine in eternity, if this is the rule, the greatest among you will be the servant of all. And of course, Jesus, that's Jesus is the ultimate example of that. No one has stooped lower than he and no one will be raised more highly than he. But for a mother to voluntarily take the low position in the household by serving dad and kids, 
Jesus will reward that in eternity. And I'm convinced that one of the eye-opening things at the judgment seat of Christ, when the lives of each one of us are reviewed, will be the degree to which mothers are elevated in glory for their service on the earth. And it can't be otherwise because Jesus can't lie. And he says, the greatest among you will be servant of all. And that's the role mothers are called to. They're called to service, to serve their families. So this is going to be, uh, I think what you'll see, you'll see guys that you've known by name and reputation, and they'll be given a little corner. And you'll see mothers you've never heard of, and they'll be given mansions. I'm, this is a stretch, of course, but there won't be any slums in heaven. There won't be any little places. But the degree of reward is for service, service to all, and that's the role mothers play. This is a great thing. This means you can serve at home in the strength God provides and get this incredible reward in eternity for it. This is a win-win situation. So, it's a good reminder not to leave the white fields of harvest God has given us for greener pastures. We don't want to uh, fall prey to the lure of greener pastures. You know, typically, God calls us to serve right where we're at. Once in a while, God calls us to be a missionary to Africa, so to speak. That is, he calls us from one place to another. There was a time in our lives we were convinced God wanted us, I was, elsewhere. And we looked into all kinds of opportunities to go to East Europe at the time. And you know what? Never, never went there. You know, I was, I was forced to conclude that the, the mission field, the white harvest field, was right here. I never thought I would live in Topeka again. You know, when I left here, went to K-State for two years and then moved to the mountains, I was gone forever. I'd be a visitor who'd come back and visit once in a while. And 24 years later, here I still am, yeah, once I came back. Uh, typically, God's using us right where we're at. Typically, we don't have to lift up our eyes very far to see the field God wants us to work in. Typically, if we just lift our eyes, we'll see it. In other words, it's that close. Typically, the white fields for us are the kids in our house, the spouses, the neighbors, the relatives, the friends, the co-workers, the people we live next door to. Typically, those are the white fields. Typically, it's not Africa. And like the disciples here, it wasn't even Galilee. You know, it's funny, these Samaritans, they believe right away. They believe. That's the way this passage ends. They are the harvest being brought in. And the text that follows, Jesus goes back to Galilee, and it says, A prophet's not without honor except in his own home. The strangers were ready to accept and receive and believe in him. His own family doesn't. His own family doesn't. Oftentimes, for us, that white field might be the neighbor you don't know very well and maybe not want to know very well. Or it could be the relatives you're estranged from in one way or another. But typically, it's the folks right around us. And the joy in the ministry should not be so much that it's something we get from that other person. It's that we know we're doing what our dad wants us to. We're in fellowship with him. We share his passion and his interest because we spend time with him, before him. And the fruit eventually is we see him at 
work in the lives of those around us. The story's told uh, more than 100 years ago. In the 1800s, there were two men in India. One sold his land to the other. And the reason he sold the land was he was looking to make his fortune. He was looking to make his fortune. So he sold his land, took the money, the proceeds, and searched the world for his fortune. He never found it. He spent the proceeds and never found the fortune. The neighbor who bought his land was traversing his land, this new, new bought land that wasn't good enough for our fellow, and he noticed a shiny stone in a stream, and he picked it up, and it was a diamond. And this stream bed that man number one had sold to his neighbor became one of the richest diamond mines in India. And the neighbor, who simply bought the land next door to him, ended up, of course, one of the wealthiest men in the nation. One guy sold what he had to travel far and found no treasure. One guy looked in his own backyard, and that's where the treasure was. And typically for us, that is the harvest field. It's not something we've got to travel a great distance for. It's typically right next to us. It's right before our eyes. Well, <clears throat> what's the work God's called us to? And if we're feeling a little burned out, or if it's become a bit of drudgery, why is that? Who do we need to go back to? Go back in the formula, worship first. And in worship, receive God's passion and his joy and his strength. And then go work in the fields. Or you know what? If you're burned out, tell, tell the Lord, Lord, I want that party. I'm here in fellowship with you. I'm a little burned out. I'm ready for that party, Lord. I'm ready for that uh, time of encouragement. But it's his time. It's his dime. In recreation or work, we should be doing it for him. We should experience his joy, his strength all along the way. And don't look too far for the work God has. It's probably right in front of you. Let's pray. Lord, I know how easy it is for me to uh, kind of put my shoulder to the uh, labor and uh, push away and just burn out. And thanks that there's a better way. Lord, for all the moms, especially in our midst, I just pray that they would have a sense that their strength, their life, their encouragement comes from you. That, Lord, you're not asking them to do some great hard thing. You're promising to sustain them in this high vocation you've given them in raising kids. Lord, people who will endure eternally either in your presence or away from your presence and lord the most important work we can do is to give faith is to give the truth to the children you've given us as parents and father whatever work you've called us to occupationally vocationally career the neighbors we live next to lord students we interact with teachers whatever this is lord help us to be open to you working in us, in people we think unlikely. Help us as parents to remember that our service is needed with our children. Help us not to look, overlook others around us as being somehow too far outside the box of the kind of folks we think you're likely to be working with. Lord, help us to derive our strength, our joy, our life, and therefore the passion for service and work from you. Lord, I know uh, we don't want to end up being older brothers. We want to rejoice with you in your presence, and we want to be a part of what you're doing. 
Thanks for calling us in, Lord, as you did your disciples here, calling us in to the labor. That's not a cost to us. It's a benefit. We get to be involved in what our Father is about. Help us to keep our eyes set on you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.